All right, should I hand it off? I kind of stole uh, kind of stole Ivan's lead there, so jack that one up. Serves you right, you you limey bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Paige, tell me about me. That was going so well. What what was it about? What was it? Uh, I know words. All right, welcome to episode 42 of the Plastic Posse Podcast. We are here with some of my great co-hosts. Tonight I have with me Scott Gentry, the man, the myth, the legend from Utah, the big boy from D.C., TJ, and Ivan, he speaks proper English, Taylor, from our, you know, (laughs) from the Queensland uh, across the pond in England. How are you gentlemen doing tonight? Doing great. How are you, JB? I'm fantastic. You told me to have an intro, so I went with it. <laughs> Faultless. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, we're certainly happy to have you guys along board with us uh, in this episode. We got a lot to talk about uh, in this episode. We're going to go over you know, a quick few things, maybe even revisit Commies Fest. And then we're also going to give you a great live that actually we just had with Marcus Nichols. So you'll definitely want to stick around for that. Marcus is the editor uh, at Tamiya Model Magazine International. He's a world-class modeler and a super nice guy. So we just want to say thank you again to him for joining us. It was a really fruitful conversation. We learned about himself, his road trip across America, and some of the idiosyncrasies about running a magazine and how connecting Facebook with the magazine, which doesn't seem too uh, you know intuitive, actually is making a lot of sense these days. And it really talks about the benefits in the interaction between traditional print media and the new social media platforms that are out there today. So, you know, before we jump too far into it, I'd like to go around the room and talk about what's on everybody's bench. I'll start with TJ because he's made some awesome progress lately on a special project. Yeah. So I um, haven't been building a whole lot lately and I um, started working on um, an Asuka M4A176 Sherman of green and black camo. I built a little diorama base for it, which I've never done before. So I'm kind of curious to see how that turns out. That's pretty much what's taking over my bench right now. It's really the only thing I've been messing around with. I think we have to acknowledge what's on the roof of your vehicle. Can you talk a little bit about that? <laughs> oh, yeah. So um, 3D printed some little cats. Um, I found a... I think it was full scale um, SCL of a cat or, or close enough. And um, I scaled, converted the average. I looked up the average size of a domestic house cat, <laughs> even though I could have just measured one of the four I have. And then I converted that into scale and I shrunk it down. And I think I printed three of them. So they were going to be, um, there's going to be two on top of the turret, one on top of um, the driver's hatch. Um, I have a commander sitting in the, cupola and then i have another guy um it's actually the same figure that martin painted for his um i think it was the french the 3d printed uh, tank 
the this AMX guy, guy leaning back to his hands in his pockets. Great figure it's from Alpine. Um, so I, I'll have him on the the scene as well. And my my plan is, you know, I know this is ambitious, because um, especially for not having done it, I want to uh, I want to position it kind of like at almost like at a crossroads. It's the only, really the only thing I could think of with part of a barn in the back, so there would be like barn cats. So the the tank is kind of like in an ambush. Not necessarily an ambush, but it's it's waiting. It's not moving, which is why there would be cats on it. Because obviously, as soon as you turn it on, they're gonna run away because they're loud. But I don't know. I just thought it'd be cool. Stretched my three D printing legs a little bit. I printed some ammo cans and some other like random stuff to go on some canteens and the little uh, flashlight. I'm sorry, torch, Ivan. Torch. <laughs> uh, just just to sprinkle around. Oh, that's awesome! I think you've probably paid for your 3D printer already, based on the accessories of this vignette alone. Yeah, it's they're, it's so cool. I love that thing. And speaking of 3D printers, I think this is a good transition over to Ivan. I know you have a lot of things on your bench, but was TJ and I wrong in talking about any Cubics printer? Yeah, this thing is like <laughs> sublime. Um, like you, I had the the Photon S, and I was just thinking. Ah, it's, it's just something wrong with it. Tried this one. No tinkering whatsoever, straight out of the box. It's like, whoa, these prints are good. Like, no print lines, just faultless. So it's the electric bill's gone up a lot this month because it's just been nonstop throughout <laughs> the night. The problem with, I've, I've woke up at five in the morning hearing the humming through my wall. That, mm, <laughs> that's really annoying, but the prints are worth it. As well as the printer, which is now paying for itself. I've spent a fortune on, like, Loot Studio files and, like, Witcher stls i've been getting my money's worth because the prints are exquisite uh now i just need to paint them i printed the banshee bust uh from luke studios which was as soon as i saw it i messaged tj saying can i get this like because it was an older model i didn't know if i could like go back in history and get it and i could so i printed that straight away looks amazing i'm going to try some um osl uh object source lighting with oh the, yeah the, the lantern she's carrying i've never tried it in my life so i don't know how good this is going to look but that yeah that printer is like shockingly good it's like i've seen your prints what you guys have been doing and it looks really cool but when you see it in person it's like whoa that's really good i would pay for this if like someone was selling it it's really good yeah some of the stuff you've made is absolutely exquisite and i'm just happy to see literally take it out of the box plug it in and go 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 and i gotta throw something else on mine tonight and maybe that's a good segue over to scott who conveniently has one as well, but he wasn't, you know, he wasn't feeling our 4K environment. He had to go up a class. You know, we're simpletons now. So Scott over there with the 6K and the basically, actually, you, you Ivan have the same size, basically a bathtub for washing your prints because they're so massive. Uh, but yeah, Scott, tell us a little bit about your your printer and your wash and cure station. Yeah, I, I, you know, I didn't go up in resolution as much as just wanted the bigger build plate. And so, um, I picked up the, uh, the Photon Mono 6K. It looks great. The build plate looks really good. Um, I've just been putting together since I haven't been into it like you guys have. I've had to kind of, uh, pick up all the accoutrements that you need, you know, the plastic tablecloths and the trays and all the IPA and stuff. So last step is just to put some UV protective coating on the windows in the room I'm going to do so I don't expose any of my resin and uh, then I'll be ready to go. So um, I I think probably early next week I'll be uh, joining you guys uh, doing some 3D printing. Yeah, it's, it's seriously addictive. Yeah, yeah, it's unbelievable. 
I'm pretty excited. A friend of mine uh, picked up a, a Frozen Mighty, and then uh, he just never set it up. But he bought about 20 files, science fiction, uh, mostly Star Wars kind of stuff, uh, files. And so I'm really excited to see what these things can do and start to learn the the craft. What you guys have been doing, is, I mean, those uh, Witcher, Witcher prints you did, Ivan, those are terrific. And John and TJ, the stuff you've been doing looks just amazing. Yeah, it's really amazing. And and I will say one thing, Scott, you kind of hinted at it, you know, safety first. I I go through gloves on every print. You know, I'm I'm extremely cautious when handling these things, knowing the knowing the health risks of handling the uncured resin. So I, I just want to make it sure that our listeners know that, you know, if you do get one, uh, you know, safety first, it's important to have, you know, proper PPE. I actually even wear glasses when I chip stuff off the build plate because sometimes, uh, you know, the last thing you want is a, a drip of resin in the eye. So I'm maybe I'm overly cautious, but I, I try to I try to be pretty good about it. And then I have a trash can right there. So paper towel, late, you know, gloves, trash can, no shortage of, uh, of, of things to soak up uh, spilled resin. But anyway, they are super fun super enjoyable. And I can't wait to do more. Actually, TJ, right before this recording, you you had commented on a group build. I think it was in our group where they had the STLs of the light guards uh, for the Sherman. And I went on to cults and bought them right away because it was like $3 for the STL. And now I'm set for life for Sherman 135th scale light guards. It's insane. Worth every penny. Seriously. I mean, when you think about now, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of great stuff out there, I think, for 3D printing that's available for people who don't have a printer. But if you do have a printer, the ability to get digital files for cheap is it's it's next. It's it's just unbelievable. We're in a truly new age. Well, thanks for that update, guys. I, I appreciate the uh, the common theme that we have in our group now. So, you know, with that, I'm going to pass over to Scott to talk a little bit about our Patreon account. Yeah, thanks, John. Well, we, uh, you know, we've had just fantastic support. A lot of new people joining the show as, as patrons. And, uh, before we get into that and, and, uh, talking about our posse outriders that, uh, we really appreciate so much. We also just want to take a minute to thank our amazing sponsors. Yeah, we've got uh, Value Gear Resin, which is just amazing. Steve Munsell, who we're going to talk about here again in a second. Um, we've got a 48-hour group build that by the time this comes out will have already happened. Steve threw us an incredible box of resin for that. Of course, Tank Craft and uh, JB and I did a, a live on Facebook last night to go over uh, their exciting new 3D printed uh, Tiger Track links and uh, T34 links as well. So if you want to check that out, it's on our Facebook page. And of course, they they contributed to the group build as well, giving us items to auction off. And also want to acknowledge Fred Medell, who joined us a couple of weeks ago uh, from Tamiya USA. They threw us some um, a couple of kits to auction off for Malcolm's charity model Models for Heroes. And, and uh, just wanted to express the posse's appreciation to all three of those amazing companies that, that we do a lot with. With and and uh, they're just terrific. So uh, Posse Outriders, we've got the voice of Bob, a good friend of the show. We've got Steve Munz- Munsell from Value Gear Resin, the master, the man, great friend. We're going to hang out with him at Nats. We've got Lee Fogel. We've got David Bridges. We've got Matthew Johnston, John Vitkus, Robert Morales, Jamie Stokes, Craig Jarbo, Jared Cowell, J.C. Osborne, good friend J.C., Mike Bird, Jeremy Elliott, Mike Talley, Steve Baker, the man, the myth, the contest winner, 
We've got mediocre middle-aged modeler. We've got Dan Knopfel. We've got Rick Lewis, Eric DeGleish, Brian McFeeders, Bruce the Model Noob, Eric Semmelmayer, Matthew O'Meara, Panzerman 2010. We've got our good friend Grant Mayberry, Paul Alexander Crystal, David Waples, Ethan Eidenmill, Steve Shaper, Rick Cooper, and Jamie Adamson. We really, really appreciate your support. It really helps uh, helps us to bring these shows to you uh, with ho- hosting costs, production costs. So thanks a lot, guys. Really appreciate it. Okay, so now it's time for our interview that we did live with Marcus Nichols from Tamiya Model Magazine International and Do Little Media. We had a really fun time sitting with Marcus and picking his brains about all the things he does and all the goings on with Tamiya Model Magazine International Facebook page. So we hope you enjoy this as much as we did. All right, everybody. Plastic hey. Posse live stream. We are here tonight. Uh, myself and Ivan and JB with Marcus Nichols from Tamiya Model Magazine International. Marcus, thanks so much for joining us. You are welcome. Absolutely welcome. No, it's great. I've, uh, I think I'm one of the last to be on this because, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've been hopeless. I'm so, I'm not, I'm not in any way a Luddite, but I just sometimes think, Oh my goodness. Why would anyone want to listen to me drone on about modeling? So, you know, it's, uh, or anything. So no, it's very kind of you to ask me. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. No, we, uh, we appreciate you coming on with us. It's going to be, uh, going to be a lot of fun. So, uh, John, we'll kind of turn the reins over to you and, uh, let's get going. Yeah, sure. So Marcus, again, thanks so much for joining us. And also it's good to see you again. I think the last time we spoke, you know, face to face outside of the virtual world was the 20, I feel like 2011, 2012 IPMS nationals in Omaha, oh, the, Nebraska. In, uh, Omaha. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, together. My goodness. Yeah. I think, yeah. yeah, that was a, yeah, that was good grief. That's 11 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Time yeah. flies when you're having fun. So it sure does. It does. Cer- Again, certainly thank you so much for joining us. Maybe to just start off with our listeners, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe more of the personal side of, you know, your professional development and how you came into, you know, your current role? Well, I hope you're sitting comfortably. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I've actually, because I have been a bit kind of behind the, the curve on the podcasts. And uh, so this afternoon I've been listening up to everyone else's just to see what they're saying. And it's it, one recurring thing is that I think we're all modelers. I mean, I'm 55. Um, and so I was building models. I started at the age of eight, I think, in the 70s. Um, my dad was an architect. And so he was very much of the generation of building his own architectural models um, because he was an era modeler. He used to actually buy era modeler magazine, which we now publish, which is kind of a strange circle being completed. And so he was very natural model maker, building model buildings, uh, architectural models with balsa wood and card and so on, you know, and so it was absolutely natural that he would have given me a kit. So I built models um, from a young age, like everyone, and then you get to, I don't know, what age would have I stopped? Probably when I went to college, um, 16, uh, and then you find other things are going on, young ladies and alcohol and all sorts of terrible things like that. Um, so yeah, that came to a complete halt. Um, 
And then I picked it up again after, I don't know, I'm going to say late eighties, I suppose. Um, when I was, you know, settled down, not settled down at all, but you know, things had just changed. And, uh, I was actually in, I live about 20 miles out of London. And so frequent trips into the West End meant that I always end up at a, a massive toy store called Hamley's, um, which is a, I suppose a little bit like the old FAO Schwartz in, in New York City. Um, and they, they used to have a model kit department. It actually wasn't terrible for a mainstream store. And I saw a Tamiya, I think it was the, the, the 250 half track. And I thought, Oh, that's nice. And so I bought that. And, uh, at the similar time, I had, uh, been looking at some Linden catalogs, which were kind of hot and new then. I thought, I can do this, you know, and, uh, painted this 250. And, uh, yeah, it was absolutely terrible, of course. <laughs> and, uh, I just thought I've, I've, I've got to, you know, learn how these, oh, it was the shading technique was all really, really, uh, the thing I wanted to learn. I just absolutely no clue about, uh, how to do that. Um, but I, I, I consider myself a photographer, which is odd by, if I had to pin down a profession, even though I've been an editor for a long time, because <laughs> that's what I studied at, at college. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, I won't bore you with the in total ins and outs, but I got, a, I ended up getting a job in the dark rooms at a company then called Argus Specialist Publications in the town where I live that produced scale models magazine, original military modeling, uh, goodness, model engineer and about 25 other sort of craft hobby titles. And when I was in there, I met a chap called Ken Jones, who was the editor of, uh, military modeling and another gent called Kelvin Barber, who was the scale models editors, editor. And they gave me a ton of, well, I say a ton, you know, a good number of kits just to fiddle with and play with and uh, reviewed a few for them. And then, um, my old granddad died in about 1990 and left me a few thousand, not a vast amount of money, but to go traveling with. He said, go and travel. So, uh, my now wife, Emma, but then girlfriend, we, uh, we went to, here it comes. This is the road trip story. You're going to, you're going to regret having asked me this, but, um, we, we <laughs> determined to go to the States and, um, see America. And so in 91, we bought a, when you could buy a one, an open ended ticket, um, to Miami, two nights in a quality inn on South Beach, Miami. And the first thing I did in the first morning, I went out and bought a copy of the Miami Herald and promptly bought myself a 1976 Cadillac Coupe de Ville. <laughs> because that was, I needed something big enough that I could drive. I felt wanted to feel safe in a car. And this is a lot of metal. This is a, you know, vast 21 foot boat. Um, actually another little adjunct to this, um, spoke to the chap who was selling it, uh, who turns out that he was an Israeli guy who had retired in Miami beach and his son was a fighter pilot in the Israeli air force. And when he was on leave, he would come back and spend night, spend the summer in Miami with his mum and dad and he'd buy a clunker, an old car. And he was on his way back and this was the car that he was selling. And it was this uh, nearly eight liter 76 caddy. So I bought that for about a thousand dollars and we toured the States for six months when you could do that before everything went digital and they found out what an absolute fraud it really was. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah, we drove from Miami to Los Angeles and back 
um, via New Orleans and Gulf Coast, uh, San Diego, Los Angeles, as I said, and uh, all over the place. Just absolutely fantastic, crazy time. And then when I went back to the UK, as it, the money ran out, um, absolutely broke. So I went back to the publishing company and said, hi, everyone, anything going? And at that time, Alan Harmon, whose name I think has been mentioned by the other guys, who is my boss now, <clears throat> and the editor of a model radio control model car magazine at the time was literally that week had the Tamiya crew in um offering the contract to publish Tamiya model magazine he knew I was a model maker and uh so he brought me in as an editorial assistant on the magazine um and that's kind of that's kind of it but it's we've been through lots of curves and um ups and downs in that in the 30 years with grief since that, uh, and I've, you know, finally, um, a couple of years after doing that, I, I managed to get the editorship of the magazine. It changed publishers from Argus to a company called Nexus, who were really a bit dicey, but um, then they moved uh, their premises, and they made me redundant, but I'd already been given my old job back by Alan. <laughs> so it was... Uh, you know, it was like kind of surfing a wave with the magazine as my surfboard, really. Um, and, uh, and then it's kind of really come down to the point where, you know, from the COVID, uh, things we've been working from home, hence my little humble hovel here where I do the magazines and the model building when I get a chance. So, you know, it's 30 years. It was October 91 that I started on that magazine. And, uh, you know, for some insane reason, I'm still doing it. Um, <laughs> I built a lot of models at the start, but not so many now. So you mentioned some of the building that you used to do, and you certainly are no slouch today. I mean, your M18 is fantastic. But, you know, when I think of Marcus Nichols, me growing up, and to me, a model magazine, the model that stands out the most to me is the T55 that was done up in a Rocky Markings. And if, if you could just talk about that build maybe a little bit, I would love to hear about it because it was a brand new kit at the time. You know, with post shading and chipping, it, it, I think it really set the standard, honestly, worldwide for armor modeling at that time. I mean, I'm, I'm. It's very kind of you to say it's, it's really, um, and people do mention it a lot. I don't know why it's hit struck, it, it struck such a, a nerve with everyone. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, it was, it was at a time. What was it? Two thousand three, I think that kit came out, something like that. And it came slightly out of the blue because Tamir had traditionally been doing German allied World War II stuff, you know, and which is very good bread and butter work. And then this kit came along and it, my, honestly, my first reaction was like, Oh God, it's one of those kind of flattened looking green Russian tanks. <laughs> Seriously, you know, um, I just kind of, my mindset then was like all Russian tanks are kind of green. Uh, and the, the only thing you can really do to them to make them kind of interesting looking is cover the tracks in pale colored dirt just to provide some visual relief i don't really remember what made me make do it as as a probably totally inaccurate kind of iraqi <laughs> scheme definitely influenced by mig um who was uh my second big influence after Valinden, there's no question um and he did i suppose it was probably a t69 because now you know everything is much more known about but me it's just like it's a it's a it's a russian tank that was in iraqi service i mean that was my research really and uh 
Yeah, it was, uh, as always with my, I think Brett was saying that, you know, with his arm, he's very confident with his aircraft builds because he knows exactly the steps to do. He's done loads, you know, and he, he can really predict what's going to come out with, but when he says his armor, it's like, here it is. I hope I don't mess it up, you know, <laughs> and that's exactly what the T55 was for me. Um, I'm like, uh, got to do something to make it zing a little bit. Um, absolutely no idea how I'm going to do this. Uh, I <sighs> painted it green. Um, started, no, sorry. Um, what did I do? Did I paint it sand and then put the green on. I can't even remember that, but it was, it was, you know, there's that stage of what am I doing with the model? Because you, you build it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I quite enjoy the build process because it's correctable. So, you know, if you, if you, even if you do a fairly massive mistake on a, on an armor kit particularly, you can correct it and because the paint's going to cover it. But with paint, you know, unless you don't mind stripping and repainting half a dozen times, then it's kind of more of a commitment. Certainly is for me. And, uh, yeah, when I, I had that kind of stage when it adjusts its base colors on, and, and I'm thinking that is absolutely appalling. I can't publish this. <laughs> um, and so I just, I was just playing with it. It was literally like a, a kind of test piece, like a paint mule. Um, <clears throat> and I, it was at the time when I was really, really into pastels and found that I, you know, really, uh, use those a lot on that model. I'm, I'm not so confident with them now, strangely, but, um, with that thing, you know, frill model tracks, which are pretty bulletproof. So they would, they went in to a pot of, of liquid pigment until they were just, you couldn't even tell what they were. They were just a blob of track and then laid them out overnight. It was the old humble naphthalene thinner. So I was probably destroyed my lungs with that one. Um, <laughs> but then it dried out just like real mud, kind of picked them up, gave them a kind of crack on the model surface, model bench surface. Most of the dust kind of float, flew off. And then I'm thinking, well, I'll sand the, the running treads off. And, uh, hey, presto, I had these kind of pale, dusty, dry mud encrusted tracks. And that's kind of what actually kept the build going. And then just went in and did heaps of pretty unrealistic chipping and scratching <laughs> and scoring. You know, people, what people are doing now, like Martin Kovach, um, Les Plaskett, who I, I still think is one of the, greatest modelers out there absolutely love his stuff um it's so much more refined you know what they, the control their micro painting and i'm my dear lovely dear friend stan spooner who <laughs> we spend a lot we spend a lot of time chatting and he said to me once actually i suppose it's a kind of a backhanded compliment but he said what i love about your work marcus is that you're so committed <laughs> and it's like when you say committed, like throwing yourself off a cliff committed, you know, <laughs> I, I just thought, um, I, I mean, yeah, I, I do commit. <laughs> I have to finish the models. You know, I don't have the option of saying this isn't going very well, but it's a need to me. Okay. I'll put it back, come back six months. It has to be finished. Otherwise there's nothing for the cover. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> that was quite funny. And, uh, so yeah, I was, I was, I was committed with the T55. But then, yeah, it went in the magazine and everyone seemed to like it. Uh, and then Mr. Tamir wrote to me, big head, but he, he said, I love this. Um, if I can have it, please, um, I'll bring you to Japan for a week. Um, <laughs> that's, that's a great that's deal. A great <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I'm up my back, you know, oh, <laughs> on, then. you know. 
So, yeah, and that coincided, actually, because, again, Stan was talking about the Tamiacom shows back in the early 2000s, which were terrific, and it was the, the best prize in model making by far. And uh, I was very lucky enough to be able to go to a handful of those shows. And then I went to the one literally like a, I don't know, it was like two weeks before the Japan show. So I was in Los Angeles, uh, California, flew into Los Angeles, California for 10 days and then short break and then off to, to Shizuoka for the model show in 03. And that's when I handed the uh, T55 <clears throat> to Mr. Tamiya. And I actually don't know where it is now. It was in the Tamiya uh, Museum at Shizuoka for a while. Then I think it went to Tamir America, but I, I'm not actually sure. It's somewhere. <laughs> well, we just had Fred on. Hopefully we can ask him and uh, see oh. if it's still stuck in a closet or a cupboard mm -hmm. over at uh, Tamiya USA. What I, what, I, um, what I was impressed by was that when I, I brought it along to Tamiya USA and um, they'd actually – Gave it, they handed it to them and they'd mounted it beautifully on a, on a base, which I'd never done. They had a bit like one of Stan's exquisite matte black, very stylish bases. Um, and it actually made me think I should do that more with mine. But, you know, I mean, I finish a model for the magazine and it goes, I take the pictures, 10 minutes to take the final pictures and it goes on the shelf and collects dust or it ends up in the bin, quite frankly. A lot of them just had a whole cupboard full of my models destroyed in an office move oh um and uh it, it's it's a bit upsetting but then you know they've done their job they've been in the magazine they're kind of yeah. been preserved at the best they'll ever look i don't have it anywhere to display them at home it's just physically nowhere so i guess that's that's how it is i do have a lot of models um on show at the uk tamir importer which are in a based in a a town called Milton Keynes here, um, the hobby company run by absolute diamond of a chap called Peter Binger. And he's got a really, really slick um, showroom uh, for all of his products. And he's allowed me two big Ikea cases, glass cases for my bills of Tamir, Italian Dragon Suckers. Those are the model ranges that he, the plastic kit ranges he, uh, he imports, plus another one beginning with Z that we shall not mention for the minute. Um, and so they're actually there and they're safe. My two Corsairs that I did for my book are there and a bunch of other stuff that I forget is there. Um, so that's quite nice to know that they're, they're kind of alive and no one can touch them. But, that's um, awesome. You know, so yeah, the T55. And then when I actually sat with this to me and we were talking about it, kind of like I'm name dropping, but it's just what happened. <laughs> Humble English is very, Mr. Yeah. is English is, he understands English perfectly. He speaks it okay. Um, but we always managed to communicate, but he had a piece of paper. He drew along, um, <clears throat> sales. I won't do his accents insulting, but he said sales of T55 going very well. I'm like, excellent. He said, your magazine article. Sales. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. And I, oh, I just wish I had my boss with me then to say, look, all this, <laughs> all this time I spend building these plastic kits is worth it because it's helping, it's helping Tamiya, you know, so. I'm clinging yeah. on to that memory. 20 years, 19 years. <laughs> no, man, I, I wouldn't let it die. So, Marcus, I'm going to monopolize this conversation before I turn it over to my co-host, Ivan, to pick his favorite build. But one of the other builds that stuck out to me that kind of, again, influenced my style and 
honestly, again, was ahead of the curve, I think, was your T-34 from Dragon, the one that you did in just Russian green. And the way you beat the heck out of it and scratched it all up, tore up the fenders and the exhaust, I think, again, another build that when I think of iconic Marcus Nichols, that's one that I hold pretty high. Oh, thank you. It's very kind of you. Um, that was a gift. That kit was a gift from Stan Spooner. Oh, nice. Um, he was the most generous, kind, kind hearted person I can think of. And, uh, we were out when I hung out, hung out with him for Tamiacon shows. He um, would always buy gifts, just lavish everyone with gifts. And uh, he said, "I want to see you build this T34." And again, it's like a little green Russian tank, and I know nothing about it. <laughs> I think I did some grill work or something with mm-hmm. some photo etch on that. I can't quite remember, but again, Frill model tracks from the talented Giuseppe Papato, a Frill model who's a, an amazing eccentric character in the model industry. And, uh, yeah, that came out nice. I was using a, a little Nikon Coolpix camera at the time, which had, it was a kind of, not even a prosumer. It was a, it was a kind of consumer digital camera. Um, but it had that quirk of some of those cameras where you had an incredible close up ability, but with a wide angle effect. So you could get really close in amazing depth of field. Um, and, uh, I was able to put the model on the work on the surface with the camera sitting on the surface in front of it and just slide it around and take a bunch of pictures. So I got some quite nice low-angle shots in that one. But, yeah, that's still alive, that model. I think it, you know, it's up at the, the Hobby Company showroom as well. So that one lives. <laughs> that's great. You know, I, I just posted a link in the group chat for our, our listeners and viewers to see. It's got some of your classic builds, two of them, the T55 and T34 there. And oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's fun to have a collection of images like that because, um, you know, the, we have this Facebook group, obviously. I'm sure you're probably aware of our Facebook mm-hmm. group. Um, I started about 10 years ago. And then when we tried to become a little bit more social media aware as a company, um, it became part of our kind of portfolio, if you like. But we've got over 110,000 members in that now. Um, right. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, I, when we, and it's, it's a promotional tool, like Brett was saying, it's, it's to, sell magazines hopefully um and so i'm able to dive into that collection of images and use it to say buy a subscription or whatever you know and it's just for eye catching imagery really so uh yeah yeah the tamiya model magazine group is absolutely outstanding i think you know in addition to promoting the brand of tamiya and the magazine itself i think it's a great place and more importantly a positive place that modelers can go and interact I, mm. I don't think there's very many controversies in that group, and I appreciate how clean it is and, and really a tight ship that you and your admins run. It's it's always been a very welcoming place to model. Yeah, I mean, one of the, I mean one of the other elements that maybe we'll discuss is um, how what, what what people use scale modeling as a hobby for, and um, you know, obviously, a lot of people, it's nostalgia because they built plastic kits in their youth and uh, wanted a taste of it. And there are obviously showstoppers and competition-winning models, and that's great, and we focus on those. But um, <clears throat> one of the key factors for me, and I've had this expressed to me on numerous occasions, is that people use it, use scale modeling as a kind of therapy um, for so mental health or personal issues or relaxation, but just as a break from stuff. And I've had people speak to me quite emotionally, actually, and say, you know, I was um, recovering from an illness or an operation, 
and the magazine kept them from going crazy in the hospital bed. Um, they, they are the halves of bringing in, bringing them the magazine, and they couldn't build at that moment, but they were keeping in touch with it. And so, you know, I'm I'm very aware of the fact that model model making. I I, I have I'll make a big confession here. I absolutely hate any competition in model making. It goes against my ethos of the whole thing that every anyone that can finish a model or even start a model is is worthy um, <clears throat> of praise and admiration and it's a good thing i think it's a good thing to build models and so i mean you know it's 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 good for lots of people who compete um i've never competed more than entering a couple of models and that's mainly because i think as soon as you bring an element of competition into it for some people it it takes away the joy of the simple pleasure of just sticking together a model kit in their own time um obviously a different uh different approaches for different people are completely valid. But I, I'm very aware, and it's just, this leads back to the group, keeping the group as squeaky clean as we can, because there are people there with every every one of these reasons for wanting to look at building models. They're there to show off their great models. They're there to show off their crappy models, and that's I love that absolutely as much as anything else. There are people with... Um, <clears throat> health issues, people who have disabilities. Um, and it, it's a place to come where I just will not tolerate people. The one thing that drives me mad is when someone puts a laughing emoji by someone's model and I boot them out of the group for that. I've booted hundreds of people out just for putting a laugh emoji by someone's work because that's not what we do in that group. And if someone insults someone's model, they're blocked. So it, it takes work. I've got a good team. I've got John Geigel, who I think you guys may know from Masterpiece Models. A couple of other chaps, got Spencer, um, John Mock. We keep a very steely eye on the goings-on in that group, and if anything gets nasty, they're gone, because that's not what we do in that group. And with 110,000 people, they're very well behaved. It doesn't happen, it doesn't happen very often. Um, at the minute... I don't want to go on about this too much, but at the minute we've got the Ukraine situation and I'm still actually not quite sure what, where, how to come down on this because people are building legitimate, mo legitimate models of Soviet art or Russian, sorry, old habits, Russian armor and Ukrainian armor with the flags on. And those are just as legitimate as a third Reich tank or an, or an Israeli defense force tank, all these awful oppressors, but we allow them in because it's historical. Um, you know, having a Ukraine flag vehicle in, in the group now instantly sparks debate, political debate. We have zero top policy, zero politics policy in the group, of course. Um, and, uh, you know, it's difficult because I don't want to stop people talking about things, but, <laughs> you know, so there's a flare point at the minute with that. I'm not quite sure how to deal with that one. Um, but no, people are very well behaved. And I think it's a terrific forum. For us to try and flog our, our funny little magazine, but also to, um, encourage people to stay building the, building models and, you know, come join the hobby because that's what we need. We need people buying model kits. Um, and youngsters, of course, and older guys, everyone, um, to, uh, you know, keep the hobby going because ultimately we all feed off it. You know, that's whether it's a competitor, competitor magazine or whatever. We need people building models and the Facebook group just, it seems to work. It's a very easy way to post images. Um, 
easy to chat with people. So yeah, it's Facebook. You know, it's like a. I often think it's like a cross between a pub fight and an open sewer. (laughs) (laughs) You get into the other stuff, but for model makers, I think it's actually really useful. I've connected with scores and scores of great model makers from literally every country you can think of. Um, and got some nice articles as a result, you know, hundred percent. You know, one of the things I'd love to go back to is the comment you mentioned about the magazine itself and getting those comments from individuals, you know, the, the the gentleman that said, you know, I had this magazine in the hospital or, or, Mm. you know, it kept me sane. Like that's very powerful. And, you know, yeah. So I have a personal story I'd share. And then, you know, I'm sure Scott and Ivan and Doug probably have one, but you know, for me, the magazine, when I think about, uh, growing up, getting into the hobby and visiting shops with my dad, who's no longer here, one of the fondest memories we have, and I can picture it to this day of walking in the hobby shop and knowing the exact path to the magazine rack hmm. and pulling the Tamiya model magazine, the latest issue and going to buy it. And then, you know, we go grab a burger or, you know, you know, grab a soft drink because I was like a teenager at the time sure. uh, and literally plow the magazine and it was beautiful. So it, it's, it's amazing. You know, I mean, it, it kind of, it's a reminds me of a, how old I am and B, how long I've been doing this magazine, but it's incredible. I had, um, actually a one, again, another little nice story that, uh, when I was office based many years ago, I had a young guy from London, um, ring up all the time before it pre-internet to ask me anything, which airbrush should I buy? Which compressor should I buy? Um, uh, all these questions and, but great, it's great, you know, and it, in the office environment, it's kind of hard to break away from doing the magazine and answer these questions, but he was a lovely guy. Ronnie, Ronnie Wise is his name. Um, and then he went quiet for a few years. Then he came back to me and said, I've been building, um, I've improved my modeling. Do you want to see them? And the, this is when we were just being able to start emailing. This is how long it's been. And they sent some of his model pictures and they were absolutely fantastic. And then a few years later on from that, he, um, had a model in the magazine and on the cover. So uh, I, I was conversing with him from a preteen right up to, and now he is an incredibly talented, I don't actually know what you call it, but he's, he's well, he lives in Jerusalem and he carves these amazing silver works for religious texts in Jerusalem. So he's, it's this amazing, like the Talmud, he's, you know, like silver cases for this stuff. And this kid is a grown-up adult with children himself and still builds models, and we keep in touch. And that's wonderful. You know, I've seen him grow up <laughs> through through Tamir magazine. It's absolutely extraordinary. Um, so there's that element. And, yeah, like I said, I've had a, a, you know, numerous people say to me, this is – the magazine really has kept me going. And that sounds really – uh, it's pompous of me. I don't mean it to sound like that, but it, it no, it, I, I don't think it sounds pompous at all. I mean, you've spoken sort of about how you know, you've shared some great stories about how each modeler is really an individual and expresses yeah. their individuality Absolutely. through modeling. And then there's this community aspect. I mean, you, you've got 110,000 people that all behave, <laughs> which is, it, which is it, almost it, a miracle. <laughs> I know it is. You know, I mean, I'm a member of various groups on, on Facebook for, shouldn't be really, but you know, and the level, and you know, they're all adults and the level of behavior is just infantile and I leave them, you know, these are non, obviously non-modeling groups. I'm, I'm, I hasten to add, but, um, 
no, our guys, you know, there's a general level of respect and you do obviously like in, in life, you get people who just can't be very nice, but, um, it kind of self moderates as well because, you know, others will say, come in and say, actually, no, you're wrong there, but, um, let me show you an example of how you're wrong. You know, not, not what you're saying is wrong, but what the fact you stated about this color or that color. And then people, more often than not, people say, Oh, actually, yeah, I didn't know that. Thanks. <laughs> You've informed me. So thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I never ever thought that the Facebook group would grow like this. Um, Facebook have changed the rules recently and it makes it harder to police because it was a simple case of applying to be a member and then you were in. Now anyone, I think anyone can comment until we okay it and we get a lot of spam or tempted spam. But, um, you know, it, it, it's doable. It's an hour a day probably to maybe two to interact with that. Um, with the morning tea. I'm English, so I have tea. Ivan, I'm waiting for one of your uh, corrections on English versus American. <laughs> no, you, 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 you've been pretty faultless so far. Um. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, and the thing is with a magazine, you know, I, I do two magazines. I'm probably aware that I, I share the model. Uh, oh God, what's it called? Military Illustrated Model. We've got we've got MIMS and MMI and TMMI and MAI, um, which I think. Brett explained amply that it, it was an existing magazine that had been going called Military Illustrated, nothing to do with modeling. Um, actually, some really quite interesting stories. It was, it was literally from the ancients right up to modern day. Um, <clears throat> but it, it was old school. Um, we bought it and uh, decided to convert it into a modeling magazine because magazines in, we have news agents here, um, selling, you know, I'm sure you're aware of those. Um, and getting a slot on a shelf in a newsagent is a little bit like landing slot at an airport. And it doesn't really matter what plane or airline lands in it, but there's a window of opportunity that you can use with your plane. And it's a little bit like that with a magazine in that there's a slot available. We don't want to lose it because they're hard to get. So we fill that slot. We're not going to close that magazine. We decided to develop it into a kind of uh, slightly upper end uh, title with good quality paper. It's more expensive. Um not in any way copying AFE model, although the, the perception is that we did, but it really, that was absolutely never our intention to do that at all. I have great respect for Dave Parker and um, Mark Neville, beautiful magazine, great modelers and, uh, you know, credit where it's due. It's a, it's a stunning production. And we, we, we just had this slightly offbeat opportunity to produce this mag. Um, where was I going with that? See, I told you, tangent. Um, <laughs> but no, I do these two mags, um, share with Brett and, uh, yeah, and it, it, it's a, it's a lot of pages a month. Do you know what I mean? To, to show models in. It's, it's, uh, and, oh no, I remember now. Sorry. Yeah. I'm going back on myself that modeling MIM mag is a kind of coffee table. We, we, we came up with a bookazine, which is just one of those disgusting words that I hate. I'm going to have to go and have a shower now. I've said it, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's not really a community. What it is, it's a showcase of great models um, where I can, a little bit of historical stuff in there. But with the Tamir Model Magazine, we've got more kind of, of community-type stuff. So we've got my little page at the back. I was on furlough for two years with COVID, so I wasn't editing that magazine. It was com completely taken care of by Brett and my boss, Alan. So I didn't have my editor's page for a long time, but I'm back now with that. And it's 
my little bit of opinion on things, if, if I can get something in there. And then the reviews, we try and put a little bit of humor in, <clears throat> toying with having a letters page again, believe it or not. I know it sounds like an old concept. Or maybe best comments off the Facebook group or something like that. But I want to, I'd like to have a bit more crossover with the magazine and the Facebook community there. And I think a magazine is, it's a little bit like a little community that a little bit of home that it arrives on the same day each month and, um, same format. There's a comfort and familiarity with it, but with new content. Um, and you, you build up loyalty that way. And we've got an extremely loyal following, luckily for us. So, uh, yeah, it's, I think it's very important. And, the, and, you know, community in the modeling, modeling world is very evident when you look at Telford, um, and the US maps shows, um, everyone knows each other. It's absolutely extraordinary. You know, it's like a, a, a gathering of, uh, of like minds, you know. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. I mean, model shows are the, the penultimate, uh, you know, social environment for scale modelers. And, mm. and, you know, going back to what you said, I, I think you had mentioned the magazine and Facebook. I think they do play well together. And what's awesome to see is, you know, you're pulling people from social media, putting them into print. And I think that's incredibly motivating for people. Hell, it is for me, to be honest. You know, there's something special about like seeing back yourself. engineering, doesn't it? You know, we take, yeah. <laughs> We're going from a high-tech medium, um, beautiful LCD screens and retina laptops and all of this, and then we're putting them on mashed-up paper, you know, and it, it's kind of seems a bit of backwards. But I think there's something nice. I, loads of our guys tell me all the time, you know, they, they've got the digital edition, which we sell. Um, they've got it on their phone. They've got it on their PC and whatever. But they like a paper magazine because you can roll it up and take it into the lavatory with you. <laughs> you, can you can read it on a train. You don't need an internet service. You can read it under the bedclothes with a torch if you really like it, you know. And so it's um, it's a, such a simple equation. It's a fiver. Um, desperately trying to keep it under a fiver, but everything's becoming more expensive. But you know, it's a psychological. It's like the old four ninety nine thing. You know what I mean? It's, like, it's gone up a penny. <laughs> but um. And it's just so simple. It's just such a simple thing. You can walk into a uh, a, a news agent, a, a bookseller here, and pick up a magazine. You can flick through it. If there's something in it that you fancy, buy it. If not, next month. You know, um, and that's it. That's the kind of contract. That, <laughs> um, and you know, it's worked. We've, there's a lot of magazines coming out of Britain. Um, we've always published lots of uh, hobby magazines. It's kind of something that we just do. Um, and, uh, you know, they've dropped off a twig one by one over the years, which is awful to see. Even though they're rivals, I do not ever rejoice when a magazine goes under because it's, <laughs> you know, it could happen to anyone. Um, and Spencer's Military in Scale, I always thought was a terrific production. I'm absolutely, um, overjoyed to have him as a staff model maker, as Brett was saying. It, it, he's a, he's a fantastic builder. Um, uh, very creative, very imaginative. Um, and it's lovely to have him on board. And he's, he's a great guy, um, to know as well. Very, very mm -hmm. clever, clever chap. Um, so it's an honor to have him on board. But yeah, and, it, and it's, you know, we, when I started in the early nineties, we had Angus Crichton. Do you remember his, him? Oh, fantastic modeler. I mean, just extraordinary. He lives only a 20 minute drive from me and I haven't seen him for years i was going to see him before christmas and he got covid and then it's march so you know 
go figure. But he um, he was building armor models at a t- to a level at a time that I don't think any not many others were doing. Um, very much his style, very much his um, approach to doing things. But this was way before aftermarket ever really um, was a thing. I mean, there were a couple of companies. Uh, Grant Line, do you remember the model railway? Grant Line bolts. Yeah, and he used those. There was a Japanese company called the Show the Show Modeling, and one of those t- typical um, Japanese Englishy names. And they were a very early uh, producer of photo etch parts for armor. They were fantastic. Um, it's probably still are. You can definitely still use that stuff. And that was kind of it. So what he was he was the king of. Um, of plastic card. I mean, my goodness, that guy could <laughs> make, could, still can, make things with plastic cards. With the references to hand, he could produce stuff in plastic card that you just wouldn't believe. Um, yeah. And he was so nonchalant about it as well. He was, <laughs> you know, the, the least, the, the least egotistical person I've ever met. He was just like, oh, just, and he would sit there with a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. <laughs> and then when he, when he put the paint in his airbrush, the airbrush, he put it in his mouth. Or that while he's building the model, he had his airbrush in his mouth, and I'd sit there. And he was also he's also a taxidermist or taxidermist, I'm not sure. So he was, and he had a, a, a living owl that lived in his shed with him, plus stuffed examples of animals all throughout his house. <laughs> and the owls did did swoop down once and grab one of his armor models by in its talons. <laughs> so that owl is now stuffed. <laughs> Speaking of Angus Creighton, oh yeah. This classic book. This is this still holds up today. It's even got the little to me part one. <laughs> yeah, part one. I, I look forward I have, to part two. <laughs> I have zero right to comment on Angus's twenty year gap between parts one and two because I'm I've got a book in that's uh, <laughs> supposed to. I, I promised three years ago. Um, then we had COVID, and I used that as a, a long a kind of rolling excuse. And I'm absolutely. Ashamed that I haven't produced it, but it's the one on the, the how to build on the P thirty eight Lightning. Ah, uh, um, it's almost ready. I'm uh, this close to thing. I'm just going to do it on the uh, on the existing models, and then to me, go ahead and do it. Announce the J, which we we knew about when they were doing the the, the um, F and G, uh, because they, yeah, they tend model companies tend to mold, tool up all the parts for a, a model. And then release them over time. They don't tend to go back and make new bits. You know, the, the J, the J was probably two years ago. And now I'm wondering if I should include the J in the book, um, just to bring it up to date and make it something to sell. But you know, it's, it's kind of a never ending thing. But, uh, yeah, if Alan, if Alan, if you're watching this, I'm sorry. I doubt you're watching. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, um, so yeah, I have no right to comment on Angus's, um, Angus's long, long gap between these parts one and two on the Tiger. And kind of the irony now, actually, because that was the Tamiya Tiger. And, you know, in that time, there's far superior Tiger ones have come out, of course. So if we did a part two, it'd have to include everything. <laughs> Dragon, <laughs> Ryfield, Tacom, whoever, you know, um, because those kits, you know, inevitably are superior. I mean, that, I think the Tamiya Tiger was 89. I think that's when it first came Yeah, out. yeah, it's a classic. I mean, it, it okay. kind of, yeah, it was the jump. It was the jump that Tamiya really took, I think, in terms of quality. And, and it's one of those ones where um, if someone says to me, well, I, I want to build a tank kit, which you recommend, 
apart from the interleaved road wheels, um, I would say Tiger One, you know, it's just the box really. It's it, the Tamiya kit goes together pretty nicely still. Um, molds haven't worn out. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those standards. It's a bit like the M113 that Tamiya made years ago. I think everyone should build one as a kind of, uh, sorbet between courses. Do you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> I can build this, I can build an M113 in an hour and a half. Um, and I don't have to paint it. It's just something I can do. Right, right I've finished a model. Right now I'm going to go back to my 30 second scale B17 or whatever, you know, um, <laughs> that's uh, going to take forever, but, uh, yeah, I mean, we do these how to build books as you, as you show there. We've got quite a few of them now, yeah. um, for sale. Um, we try and, we try to do one on every significant new Tamiya kit that comes out. We're, we're definitely trailing on in that regard. Um, but Spencer's done one. I think that is that Spencer's you have there, the, his armor one. It's terrific. You can see yeah, his the leopard. Wonderful, uh, model work in that one. And then you I have a spit on in this one. Yeah. We do one of the Ravel Spitfire. We've got very, I kind of lose track of what, what we've done now. They're fairly short run books. So we sell out. Um, we need to do reprints. The Mustang one is totally sold out. Um, but yeah, I, I would like to do more, but I don't think uh, my boss will ever have me do one again. <laughs> <laughs> How has uh, the digital uh, market affected the magazine? I mean, I have to assume that a lot of your, readers are consuming your product digitally now as opposed to just the paper paper books but how's it affected uh business overall well it's interesting because we kind of when when it when the internet you know the, the internet's been going for a long time obviously but there have been certain kind of changes of gear when you kind of think oh they can do that now you know like when you could get proper high resolution imagery um through when when broadband really came along because you know you can't really do anything on dial-up but when faster internet speeds become a thing people could suddenly get nice quality pictures big nice quality pictures on their computers and uh we were worried you know and uh this it could wipe us out but actually it didn't um <clears throat> of course it takes a chunk out of anything because uh we're a kind of old-fashioned industry in some ways but it's kind of come to complement us uh so we have a we have a official digital edition of the magazine that people subscribe to obviously much less expensive than the printed edition um and it's quite nice because the pictures are zoomable so you know it actually has some advantages over a, over a paper edition um but with the with the advent of social media which has been i think terrific for model making on the whole and uh, we can promote the mags um that way um and yeah, like I said before, there is something nice about having a, a wad of paper in your hand with nice color pictures, big pictures, and also a complete story. Because one of the things that I still find a little bit on, um, let's say, blogs, not so much videos, but you don't, you know, the story that model bills can ramble on and on and on for a, a, an interminable amount of time. And you don't, you know, it can take weeks to get to the conclusion of someone's model bill. Um, and it can be, I find that a little bit frustrating, um, with the magazine, you know, it's all in one package. We, we try not to do two parters having said that we've got a two parter at the minute, but you know, I think two months is as long as anyone should have to wait to get the complete task, complete article. But overwhelmingly, you know, you've got standalone readable pieces, um, <clears throat> captions, like again, Brett was saying the, vi the, the, the crucial nature of 
captions for pictures because lots of people will flick through, look at the pictures, and then come back and read the captions on the pictures, and then finally read the copy, the actual write-up on it when they've got more time. Um, but no, I, I think that there's still very much a place for the printed magazine in um, in the hobby world at the minute. You know, um, we've tried to adapt, uh, but you know, the, our readers are generally kind of old codgers like me, so <laughs> not 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 exclusively, of course. And they're used to a magazine. You know, they like the continuity of it. We sell binders. We sell lots of binders for the mags, and. Um, People keep them. They, they can't stand to miss one. You know, uh, if, if the postman drops it in the puddle on the way to posting it to them, they get, you know, they get pretty panicky. <laughs> uh, and so we, we always replace that for free if the postman's destroyed it. And so they can have this immaculate condition. Lots of people have double subscriptions. So they just have a spare copy just in case, you know, it's, um, we love that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think that we try and use, digital you can't treat it as an enemy because it's you know it's like trying to hold back the waves so um i try and integrate the two things as well as i can sadly a lot of uh, some people on the facebook group don't even realize that we are a magazine an actual magazine so you know i try and emphasize that occasionally with my silly little posts that i hope people find funny and don't think i'm a complete idiot not about um, not a not a bookazine though not a bookazine no uh, otherwise, it could it could venture into the the world of uh, edutainment. Uh, or, <laughs> oh, all these words, all these words. Ivan, come on. <laughs> um, well, one thing. Oh, we've got, I think we've got the echo back, haven't we? There we are. Um, one thing going back to kind of what you said. Although a lot of the subscribers to the magazine absolutely love a physical copy. Uh, I know myself, JB, and TJ, we've all contributed to these magazines under the, the Doolittle umbrella. It's also your contributors who love having that physical print and being like, that's mine. It's like, it's cool seeing it on a screen, but when you've got it, it's like, that's me in print. It's the Absolutely. And I, I um, am I uh, feeding back still? No, you could. You can hear me. Okay. Yeah. Um, little, little details that I love the fact that in the UK, every, every single thing that is published that's a serial print has to a copy of it has to go into the British Library. Every single, whether it's a book, magazine, any everything has to be recorded in the British Library. So every one of my magazines, perfect condition, has been buried in the bowels of the British Library in King's Cross in London. And they have tens of millions of publications in there. And for the you know, anyone can go and uh, check it out just to make sure it happened. Um and I quite quite like that you know i like the fact that there are that there's a kind of uh, legacy of these mags out there in people's collections and they can show their mates um absolutely no problem about someone taking the latest issue to the model club and handing it around you know it might if it encourages one extra person to buy a copy then that's all good you know um and yeah actually having that mag is is quite a nice thing i think tangible it's so simple you know yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm just stoked to hear that my work's in the British Library. I think, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think I'm good. I, I, I've made something that's worth keeping around. Who so. knew? I know exactly where more. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where exactly they keep it. Probably in the loos or something. You know, <laughs> Basil Jet's famous London sewer system is probably lined with these magazines. You know, I don't know, but uh, yeah, no. That, it, 
and it, I think there's, it gives it, it does still, even with all the things that have happened to media over the recent years, I think that it still lends, hopefully at least, an air of credibility to something, you know, that someone, an editor somewhere has said, yes, that's good enough for publication. And it goes through the slightly convoluted, um, process of, of publishing it. I mean, Brett was describing, you know, how, uh, how an article comes to fruition. Um, and it, you know, it, it used to be a case of someone sending in sometimes handwritten reviews and then later type, typewriter written reviews. And we would use OCR. Do you remember OCR? Optical character recognition software. So you would scan this piece of paper and it would make it, it almost into English. Um, which you then had to re-read and re-type. Then it would go, then we'd put it on a floppy disk in the post and it would go off to a typesetter who would then send back the next day or the day after sheets of A4 paper with the article in columns of solid text in the right typeface, the right size, column width. That would be then handed to the designer who would physically cut that up into strips and then use a wax machine to stick it down onto a bigger piece of paper. And that's how I started with the magazine. It was an absolutely antiquarian process. It was only a few steps up from letterpress really. <laughs> and then, then we got, then we got all modern and we had an, a single internet line that could, overnight you could send three photographs to the printers. Um, then we had these big removable hard drives, um, that we would physically wrap in bubble wrap and send to our typesetters who are in Cornwall of all places is very convenient, 250 miles away. <laughs> um, and then obviously now it's all just uh, we transfer. That is uh, the, the advent of we transfer is an absolute miracle of science. Quite frankly, <laughs> if they, if they start charging for the free service, then uh, I'm in a world of hurt, but you know, the, the way it's progressed is, uh, is extraordinary. It's, um, and I can run the whole magazine from this laptop here, you know, so. Um, and yeah, and then we, <laughs> we still, uh, pull that technology and make a little paper booklet out of it. Seems a bit bonkers, but like we said, people like it. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> um, I remember, but back yeah. in, sorry, cool. <laughs> no, go ahead. No, no, please. I I remember back in 2016, um, I published a Subaru I built onto the temple yes. pitch. And you sent me a message saying, I want this in the magazine. And I was blown away by that. I was like, whoa, mm. this is the big deal. I remember it. Do you still approach people with this in, in the same manner? You see a build you like and just be like, hey, I want this for the magazine. Would you be up for that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's um, when I'm not actually putting the magazines, putting them together, but, you know, processing the the text and the imagery and picking the ones I want. Yeah. One of my key roles is to find people that, um, want to, want to write for me. They're either experienced, they've done it before. And so they know the score with it, or they're completely green. They're completely new. And it's just a beautiful model. Um, yet again, just to, to mention Brett's chat, um, apart, obviously it's got to be a good model, but the next, main thing is the photography um we can't publish rubbish photographs you can do so much with them in photoshop um but you know they need to be well lit um good depth of field uh 
all the usual things, you know, um, taken with a camera that can produce files of at least two megabytes uh, in size. I know it's a kind of very rough measure of it, but a lot of cameras now can do, can take, uh, raw images as Canon raw or Nikon or whatever. Um, I always like to have those cause that gives me the most flexibility. Um, and, uh, gosh, where was I going with that one? I've lost my thread again. Um, but no, I do. I, I, I I'm, I'm, I'm attracted obviously to a beautiful model, but it's got to be great pictures. The writing we can always work with. That's the most malleable thing. So, you know, I, and I actually prefer to pe prefer people to write in their native language. And then I run it through Google translate because that's getting the AI and that is getting better and better all the time. And if people who can write a bit of English, write it in English, but you know, only semi English, then, um, unpicking that is a real chore. Um, it's a real chore. And it even, I mean, it'll convert Japanese. I've had Finnish text, you know, Russian for sure. Um, <clears throat> and Google just takes it in its stride. It's absolutely extraordinary. And that can always be polished up. You know, it can always uh, beef out the text, but, um, always on the lookout for new writers, keeping it fresh, new styles. Um, new inspirations that people are getting, you know, that are, uh, are, I'm going to get his name wrong, but Daniel, oh my goodness. I'm going to have to look. He's an American model. I think he's in South Carolina, but he's got, he's got this, uh, terrific article. Daniel Bookmeyer. Maybe he's listening. He did this, uh, piece. Oh yeah. In our MIM magazine based on a famous, uh, if that's clear or not. Yep. Picture of two African American artillerymen, and they'd written, you know, Easter eggs for Hitler on the thing. And <laughs> and he's he's um, very interested in getting um, the history of, uh, uh, of, in this case, African American GIs. He's he's just finishing a piece on the liberation of one of the camps. In the Second World War, so there's a kind of an embrace of two figures. I don't know if you guys have seen that, but it's very emotional. And he's, you know, he's going at it from a very um, evocative point of view. So I like all that. I love, I love things with personal stories or personal reasons to do that model, right down to just the basic build because someone liked the color of something. You know, it's all valid. I, that's me, by the way. I like color. It. That's under kind of the. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the simpleton at the end of it. It's just, oh, what did you build? Why did you paint that color? Well, I like the color and I add loads of it. So <laughs> it's a bit like Picasso's blue period, you know, they would overanalyze why he painted in blue. He just had loads of blue paint, you know, <laughs> so it's like, um, but no, Mark. there's all sorts of different, uh, motivations from our contributors as to why they build a specific model a certain way. Um, maybe a, a, um, the grandfather flew in a bomber in the war or something, you know, I'm quite, I'm actually, I'm very keen to get my hands on this new Tacom, uh, V1 and the mm. ramp. Cause my dad was nearly killed by one in the second world war. He, uh, he wasn't evacuated from the East end of London. And, uh, these things were dropping all around, um, from July the 13th, I believe 44. And my aunts, good old East end matronly aunts were sending him out in the street saying, Brian, what is it? Is it one of ours? And they're like, no, it's a V1. Get back in. It's a buzz bomb. Everyone calls them doodlebugs, but they were all called buzz bombs by the Londoners then. And, uh, yeah, and he would uh, see these things come down and dive into a doorway. 
So I kind of want to make that as a tribute to my dad. He, my dad died 10 years ago in May, actually, unfortunately, on May the 4th. So the May the 4th be with him. Um, and I'd like to kind of do one as a little bit of a, not a tribute to him because it's a thing that tried to kill him, but just with it in my mind, you know, the historical stuff. So that's my kind of emotional motivation, I suppose, with these things. I'd love to see that. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, um, we don't really get tack on easily now, so I might have to mm. just buy that one. Um, but it'd be fun to put together. And there's a real one. I think there's at least real, uh, ramp at Duxford, um, museum here in the UK. So, uh, uh, that'd be quite fun in a kind of slightly sick way. <laughs> well, Scale, Scale Modern Craft has a question for you. How, how do you feel about dioramas? They good for the model or do they pull attention away from the subject? It, it all depends on how well they're done. Um, I think that to me, I suppose, I mean, I build, build, build a bit of everything as you probably know, but I suppose my kind of, um, my bedrock of modeling is, is military models, um, military vehicles. And, uh, I think a good diorama tells the story. It tells the complete story. You've got figures in there. I'm a, I'm an awful figure painter. Uh, something I really need to work on, but I think that in a way they, they're the things that absolutely bring life to any armored vehicle. So, um, <clears throat> you know, the Tamir figures that have been doing recently are absolutely terrific. They used to be just the usual blobs of plastic, but now they've been doing this scanning technology or something that I don't understand. Um, but the figures are very good. And if you can pull them off, uh, it totally brings a model to life. Um, and again, you know, we've had models recently in Military Illustrated magazine, one from a chap in Spain who did a, an M5A1 Stuart with this amazing American crew um, in Italy, the most characterful faces. I wonder if I can find that without having to disappear for too long here. I'm never going to find it, am I? But no, um, so to answer the question, yeah, I love dioramas. I've built a few greater or lesser success. My favorite one that I did, which I don't know, you may you remember, was the Tamiya Matilda 2. And it was in a little scene supposedly being tested around the outside of a factory in the UK before it was kind of sent off. Um, so there's a kind of barbed wire fence and a little kid with a catapult who had fired a blob of painty something at the tank. And um, there's a British policeman kind of been, you know, talking to him. And I think that's probably my favorite and most successful one it's just a small scene because it tells a story and that's i think it that's when you go from a skillful build of an armor model to actually then presenting it in a scene it absolutely can transform it um because it shows you the environment that they were in obviously the what the crews looked like stowage and the buildings you know you can identify a diorama very quickly if it's done properly from the buildings that are around it as to where it was set you know Italian buildings look very different to German buildings, to French buildings, if we're talking World War Two. So, yeah, I, I love them. And we've I've been focusing very heavily on them in, in MIM mag. I keep going on about that, but that's my kind of premium mag, really, with the better paper and um, bigger pictures, less text. Just let the images do the talking, you know. I had some terrific, terrific diorama's from people. Bernard Lustig. Um you may remember him, not remember him, he's still building models, but he's a, one of my absolute favorite model artists. Um, <clears throat> like I said, Les Plaskett, um, and scores of other great 
great builders. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, have, you, have you seen uh, Spencer's uh, Legacy Collection books as well? I actually haven't got any of them because he keeps forgetting to send me a copy. But it's uh, it's, oh. it's literally that. But no, his his legacy stuff is terrific, and he's you know he he's I'm sure he visited Francois Valinden when he was um, still trading in uh, in his place in Missouri. Um, and you know, there's no question that Francois relit the the kind of the torch for many of us builders when the, when he was doing his stuff in the eighties. And yeah, Spencer's work in that kind of Valindany style, intentionally Valindany styles, is still wonderful to look at. It's it's very pleasing on the eye, you know. But then I also there's uh, there's a, a model called I can't, I'm going to get his name wrong, but Imad Imad Boantun, who's in um, Lebanon, and he's being published by Per Pla, I think. Um, his dioramas and those are much more modern style, gritty, beautifully finished. Um, just I wouldn't know where to start, quite frankly. Um, the sheer quantity of stuff, of it's, you know, it's, it's a, a building and a groundwork and a vehicle is is achievable. But when you have to have 300 little pieces of other stuff just to contextualize it, you know, that's that takes time. And as we all know, with model making, the smaller the detail, the more important importance it carries. You know, that's it, why so many models are messed up in the last 1% of its build stage. And my models I'm talking about, you know, putting the, putting the wire on a, the aerial wire on a model aircraft. If you get that wrong, if it looks like a piece of dental floss out there on a Spitfire, it's going to look dreadful, you know, but so you've got to get those things perfect. Um, and you can get away with things <laughs> much larger flaws. If the fine details look great, then, you know, they you definitely can, uh, distract from other things. <laughs> That's why I've, I've been getting away with it for a long time. So, you know, but yeah, sorry to answer the question. Yeah. Love dioramas. Want more. Definitely. Just Stan, wants, to Stan wants to know if you're wearing pants. No, I'm totally naked from the waist down. <laughs> um, All right. I will be standing up in 45 seconds. So, just <laughs> up, up. hey, Stan. <laughs> Love you. <ya. laughs> Yeah, Stan's a wonderful guy. His, uh, his models are just stunning. Um, and as I said, one of the kindest, most generous people I've ever met. So it's just an absolute golden block of a guy in this hobby. Great advocate for it. Now, you know, one of the lovely things with the magazine is I've had the opportunity to do quite a lot of travel. Um, which is a real treat. So I've gone to places that I never would have dreamed of going. Certainly Japan six or seven times, I suppose. US scores of times, um, Europe all over, um, even the Philippines, the model car club thing there. So yeah, and you just, you, everywhere you go, there are models. It's absolutely extraordinary. There are models in bases you wouldn't believe. Someone sent me a picture of themselves reading my magazine in a penthouse apartment uh, on Copacabana beach. And I, and I'm like, I was simultaneously impressed, but like outraged. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Reading a model magazine. You should be out there drinking cold beer and looking at girls in Brazilian bikinis and things. You know, you're crazy. Um, I've got, uh, models in Iraq, um, <clears throat> places that you'd think, I, I mean, you know, just for the ill informed, you'd think, my God, how, how could you relax enough in some of these places to, to sit down and build a model, but no, you know, as again, and it's testament to the fact that people use modeling as a, 
as a kind of safety valve in a way, you know, to, to, to unwind and to express their imagination, sent interest in history. Um, but, and that, you know, that applies not just to armor and military subjects, but cars too. Um, you know, uh, some of the guys building historic race cars, um, you can almost smell the, the fuel fumes, you know, from these like Ebro, you know, the model company Ebro, um, <clears throat> making these historic lotuses. And, uh, it's just wonderful. You know, these, these kits are just exquisite. Um, so if, you know, and you can dabble in it. This is the thing. The, the, well, the wonder of Tamir model magazine is that it isn't a single topic mag. So if I get up, sort of a bit fed up with green tanks, I can go and do a bright orange McLaren and, um, end up hating gloss paints so much that I, I just <laughs> rush back to my matte paints all in a one go, you know, so <laughs> not true. Yeah. You mentioned the plethora of subjects in Tamiya model magazine. I think one of them that stood up to us, stood out, stood out to us lately and TJ and Scott had the opportunity to see it at a local show was Brian Kreiner's natural metal P40. Oh my gosh. It's, it's absolutely stunning. And again, Brian is a great friend. Um, all these great models are incredibly modest and none of not one modeler has e who's ever told me how great his model is has, a, has had a great model. I, I can put my hand on heart. You know, someone says, you've got to come and see this model. You, you're going to want to publish it. I know I'm not going to want to publish it right there on the spot with never having seen it. And so Brian and Stan and guys like this are the complete opposite of that. They're very modest. They just say, look, I've been doing this, struggling with it a bit. And they show me a picture. And I'm like, you're struggling. Right. You know, um, this is just exquisite. And what Brian does with natural metal finishes on aircraft is, is amazing. Um, and that P40, it really deserved to go into Brett's MIM magazine on the nicer paper because he does the aviation edition. Um, but I wanted it for myself. So, <laughs> <laughs> and you can see, you can see the weathering, the staining that he's done on that, on that thing. Um, Brian's published a few of his models with Tony Canfora's, uh, what are they called Wingspan, I think, mm -hmm. books. And again, you know, just, he did a, a Dornier 335 file. And wow, Big it's one. just, oh, just an incredible piece of tapestry. You know, it's, um, just wonderful. Absolutely love it. No, he's a great guy. I'd love to see it in person. I'm, I, I, Brian comes to London. Maybe every couple of years, and um, I'm going to get him to bring a model for me one time. <laughs> Donate. Yeah, yeah, he lives about, about 20 minutes away from me, so yeah, he's super he, close. Um, John? I'm sorry, say again, you were muted. Did you move? Yeah, yeah, so I lived Colorado in Pennsylvania. Recently? Yeah. Yep, yep. I was in no. Pennsylvania and moved across the country to Colorado for a job. Um, Brian and I, I probably chat with Brian more than anyone else. Um, on a daily basis because we he comes on Skype just about an hour before I finish um, for the day here, and we always have a you know we got the we got the sense of humour of nine year olds so we always have this kind ah. of puerile chat, um, and he's he's just a great guy he's very very talented but incredibly modest he's really just how it should be I think mm -hmm. but yeah no I'd love to see his P forty in the flesh um, just wonderful yeah wonderful stuff. Yeah, he's got a couple know. more on the bench for me as well at the minute. So he's going to do the Tamiya um, 30 second scale Korean War Mustang. 
um, which is just going to be, I, I can picture how it's, how good that thing's going to look. Um, a couple other things. Yeah. At the show, he also brought his MIG 15 and it is absolutely yeah. astounding as well. Just, he's got a real touch. Um, and you know, everyone thinks of him as the natural metal finish guy, but actually he's only done a fairly small number of purely NMF finishes on aircraft. Uh, but he's, you know, he just picked up that kind of, um, good reputation because he's very good at them. But, you know, his other stuff is, is fantastic too. Um, and I remember seeing his workshop. I visited him in, he lived in, um, West Covina in, in Los Angeles. Um, and I visited him when he was living there and, he had all these dental scalpels because he's, he's a big advocate of this oil canning effect. It's kind of, uh, warped stress skin effect on, on aircraft. And he was doing it with these tiny, teeny little dental scalpels. And, uh, I still never managed to get my hand on one of those, <laughs> those blades. And it's the only way to do it. And he polishes it out. Oh man. No, just fantastic stuff. Uh, more, more from him. <laughs> His last model was the, I'm going to say Hobby Boss 30 second scale P61 Black Widow, mm-hmm. which I think he did in two parts, as I remember in the mag. And again, it's just an absolute masterpiece, absolute masterpiece, that thing. So good. I don't know where he puts these 30 second scale builds. <laughs> <laughs> Huge. <laughs> Certainly a P61. But I know he's building a B17, the Hong Kong models B17 as well. Um, at least one of those. So. I think he's got a fairly decent sized basement where he does his stuff. <laughs> but yeah, no, these characters, as I said, you know, the travel I've had, I've met some great guys, loads and loads of models in the States. I love coming to the States because people are much more vocal, willing to chat openly about their modeling stuff. Um, we're, I suppose we're a little bit more, no, just different attitude in the UK. It's just a different mindset. And that's for everything. Um, I'm sure Ivan, you'll agree with that. You know, we, you go to the USA and everyone is just like, just wants to talk and talk and talk about what you did, how you did it. And it's, you know, it's wonderful to actually have that. Um, I've been asked, I did a, well, I did a couple of demos at the uh, squadron Eagle quest show in, um, in Texas a few times and, uh, absolutely terrifying building the, doing a model demo in front of people. When I, I don't know what I'm doing. Never mind trying to tell people what I'm doing. So it's, uh, <laughs> but it's nice. People sit down and listen to you. It's amazing. It's the only place I ever get that where people sit down and actually listen to me because I'm <laughs> <laughs> building models. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to test your memory out. So my right. first model, um, that you built that really inspired me, man, I, uh, it's going to be like 2009, 2010. You built mm. a, Fine molds type eighty nine uh, that, oh, yeah. that you posted in Missing Links. Yes, and I don't know if you remember that, but that was okay. a tank that I just I thought the weathering on it was so so great. You did some chipping and then some dust, and and it yeah, just that, just really looked just that kit was um, initially uh, a part work that came with Model Graphics Magazine or Armor Modeling Magazine out of Japan over a series of issues. So you get a sprue each every other month. I think it's by I can't remember if it's monthly or bi-monthly. Um, and, uh, I got in touch with them and they very kindly sent me the whole thing. Cause you know, it's impossible to build one of these things when you just get sprue a month. So I, I put that one together and I, 
again, I just didn't know how to treat that kit because I was terrified by that Japanese camouflage with the yellow line. Yeah, thought the painting yellow along the dark yeah. greens, you know, it's just going to look like someone's thrown a, a custard over it. It's going to look awful. <laughs> and I toyed with painting it all yellow and then masking that off. And then, then, you know, just like you've got a nice bright yellow. I just did not know what to do with that one. So I think I painted it in a kind of navy gray, which I hope existed at some point. But it, you know, it, I think it's easier to, to do weathering effects on a single color vehicle. I think one for me anyway, one of the hardest uh, camouflage schemes to, to weather is the German three color scheme because you're you're working over three completely different colors with one colored weathering product. So that's why I always end up covering everything in dust washes because that <laughs> you can just go across everything with that. But uh, yeah, the Type eighty nine is one of those ones that um, was in a lovely metal cupboard in our old photography studio that was then picked up and moved sideways. And, oh. um, yeah, ended up, it's, it's, it's in crumbs, unfortunately, that one. This is a bit of a shame. Oh, that's too I've bad. I've got all the crumbs, so in theory, I could, um, <laughs> I could, I could glue it back together, but, uh, yeah, that was a shame. That's, it's a shame. Yeah. Well, thanks for remembering that one. Gosh. Well, it's it quite- took me until, uh, 2022, but I actually have that kit, all the ed- oh. editions of it and, and everything, but yeah, because they yeah, did that release one's... it as a standalone kit, didn't they? Eventually, because it was a fine molds model, I think. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah I got it's a company the, uh... I love. I love fine molds kits. They um, met the proprietor several times. A tiny, tiny company. Um, <clears throat> probably hate me for saying that, but they are. And the proprietor is an absolutely wonderful guy. He had the Star Wars contract for years, making the the, the fine mold Star Wars kits were just exquisite. Um, and then, yeah, some quite esoteric Japanese aircraft and then some really beautiful little Japanese tank kits. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I just, it's one of my favorite companies, actually. There's, there's a delicacy to their products that I really love. Um, and then, yeah, Stan, Stan really wanted the Type 89 as well. So I, I, um, had a second set of those sprues that came with the magazine. So he's got those somewhere. So next time you speak to Stan, you can, uh, you can nag him to build that one. <laughs> there you go. Will do. Will do. Well, uh, um, I mean, you've talked a little bit about that V1. Um, mm. what are, what are maybe, uh, two or three other subjects that just for Marcus, not necessarily for the magazine that intrigue you that y- you might want to tackle? I've got, yeah, absolutely. I've, I've, I'm like, I think I said before we came on, I'm, I'm a bit of a, the ultimate kind of kid in a candy store where I, I my eyes, if it's physically possible for my eyes to be bigger than my belly, which I, I don't think it is, but they are. So I see something and instantly I'm in love with the, with the model subject. You know, I'll see, um, I mean, there are very few subjects that really don't inspire me at all. Um, that I can, I can see the potential in so many things. Um, Ravel, because, um, I'm actually not directly from London, but my entire family are, and I've got a real attachment to London. And Ravel did a 24-scale London bus, which I used to travel on when I was hanging out in London through my younger years. And it's, it's huge. They're about to reissue it with a ton of photo etch. Um, so I really would like to do that one because I can, I, I can look at that model and I can smell the inside of that bus. You know, it's when you could smoke on buses upstairs. So there's a slight smoky smell. There's chewing gum on the floor and newspapers all over the place. And I would just love to do one. Just as I remember them in the eighties, um, coming back from nightclubs and stuff. So that's one I'd love to do. Um, 
but to be honest, I, you know, I do get things I really want to do, but I, I suppose the nature of the work over the years means that I have to be able to turn my hand fairly quickly to a new subject that comes in, even if it isn't something that sets my hair on fire and just get into it. And I, I usually find that with a, dig out a couple of books, look online, um, find a few nice, nicely done model examples that I can get, um, excited by the subject reasonably easily. If there, if there's something that's like, Oh, it's got that finish, you know, so there's, uh, I'm trying to think of an example, but like a nice metallic finish that, you know, what I love about some of those, uh, late war Shermans is that bare bit of metal at the base of the barrel for the recoil. And so that's the bit that excites me about that, <laughs> that subject. It's, isn't it silly? But you know, I, I'm not very good at olive drab. I think the MA team's probably my most successful olive drab. But again, I was, what, I don't know what to do with this thing. I'm just cover it in dust. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, um, I need little, little nuggets of excitement that I see in a subject that I know that I can do, um, and bring it to life. Um, and hopefully then that kind of spreads throughout the model and I get inspired for long enough to finish the flipping thing. So, uh, yeah, there's not been too many models that I built for the mag that I just literally went through the motions with. Um, they probably show, but, uh, no, enjoyed. And the McLaren I did, um, who's up here? I won't stand up because I've got no trousers on. Don't forget. <laughs> um, but that was a new, brand new Tamiya kit, first Tamiya car I built in years. And I chose probably one of their most complex car kits to do as a, as a foot back into cars, which is really a bit silly of me. Cause I mean, even though it's a Tamiya, the engineering, you know, people do criticize Tamiya for their subject matter sometimes can be a little bit predictable or maybe dare I say even a bit dull in t at times um and they can be a bit random you know they'll get you up to the point of another version and then just leave you hanging for ever or for a long time but one thing you can you know that they're going to be engineered really beautifully and so um and I knew that building this car would be a a, a fun build exercise I think that the McLaren Senna was actually a pretty ugly car I've changed my opinion since having built it but um actually really enjoyed that one because the the whole mindset to building a car like that is totally and utterly different to building a piece of armor. It's as different I think you can be within scale modeling. Um, you know, every literally almost every single part of that has to be painted separately. Or I should say individually. And so I've I bought a forest of little bamboo barbecue skewers, um, and a wad of blue tack so everything was on mounted like this um and uh yeah it, it's a learning so it's, it's a it's a quite a learning exercise actually um but yeah no um yeah definitely the london bus then i would say is uh um something personally i'd love to do the v1 again from a kind of dad reasons that would be fun and a bunch of other stuff that i kind of look through and think oh um i definitely want to build one of these tamir phantoms I haven't had a chance to do that yet and the aftermarket stuff is building up for that nicely. So I might, um, I might put one of those together, um, with the Edward seats and you don't really need any of that stuff. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. But you know, Edward, I do like these 3D printed things now, even though it's, I look at it and I'm like, I don't understand how that, I don't understand how this works. This is, <laughs> this is alien technology coming down from somewhere, but, uh, 
I appreciate what's what people are doing with it, and it's getting better and better. You know, it's um, almost daily. It seems that the quality goes up and the price comes down. You know, it's like digital cameras. When they first came out, they were hugely expensive and awful. But as the quality increases, the price comes down. It goes mass market, and you know, it seems. I mean, you've, you've just bought a new printer, haven't you, Ivan? Yes. It's uh, and it's you know it's, I would like to play with that I guess at some stage, but uh, yeah these uh, the new Phantom definitely would like to do because love that plane. Um, I was going to show you a picture of myself sitting in the cockpit of a Hunter at the age of about three, with my dad sort of holding me above the seat um, from uh, an air show. So I'd have been it was about nineteen sixty eight or something like this. Um, I haven't got the picture with me, but I'd, I almost look cute in that. So I wouldn't mind building a hunter <laughs> at some stage. Maybe put a little me in the hovering above the ejector seat there or something. But no, I mean, I'm, you know, pretty wide, broad-minded uh, when it comes to model subjects. I'd, I'd have a go at pretty much anything, I suppose, except tiger meats. I, 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 I said it. I wasn't going to say what I don't, <laughs> what subjects I don't like, but tiger meat. Jet's done up with tiger meat. I agree. Just don't. I don't get it, but you know, there you go. Lots of people love those. <laughs> Doesn't mean I won't put in the magazine, but it won't be me building them. <laughs> no, I, I agree there. But um, mm. speaking of subjects, what would be your magnum opus? The model doesn't even have to exist. If mm. you could have a kit of anything in the world and you would build it, what would it be? Goodness me! Um, I again, I mean the. Uh, Maybe it's a little bit obscure, very obscure actually. But in, when I was um, tooling around as a, in London as a teenager, trying to be cool, um, <clears throat> there's an area of London called Kensington. Um, and back in those days, it used to be quite scruffy. And there was a, I don't know what you'd call it. I guess it was built in the Victorian age as a, uh, as a market, a multi-store floored market for traders. And it was just full. It was every single British tribe. You can imagine punks, skinheads, mods, goths, before goths were goths. And it was just this bustling, crazy place. And I would love to almost do like a doll's house type thing where it's all lit, full of hundreds of figures, all the different stalls selling all their T-shirts with anarchy symbols on and just like a little miniature version of of something that I used to love hanging around at, just with all these characters, these crazy, crazy people that were hanging around in the kind of punk or post-punk days. Do you know what I mean? It's a, it's a bit of an odd odd thing to say, but, you know, so if to construct. And I see some of these dioramas that these guys build with these interiors with hundreds of figures. Uh, Marin Van Gils, um, with these naval things he does with all the, all the figures on the on the ships have just absolutely blown me away, and I can see insane hours, you know. And so that kind of thing is, if I had the the time and the space, it doesn't cost me money really to do it, you know. And if you've got references and imagination, you can make absolutely anything um, out of scrap. So yeah, something like that would be great. I'd, I would love to do like a building full of people, all lit, all weathered up. <laughs> Or one of these post-apocalyptic scenes. That's another thing I'm going to do. I just bought over a hundred quid worth of those alternative miniatures figures, the raising ones. So I will be doing a, a, a zombie post-apocalypse kind of gas masking type thing. So, nice. so yeah, um, loads of ideas, none of which ever get a chance to actually come to fruition. <laughs> Cause to me, it'll release something. I'm like, better build it. 
or it goes to Spencer, you know. <laughs> um, similar with the P38J, I think that probably Spencer will do a better job with that than me. But again, I'm, I, I love that aircraft, I think, in silver with the really cool nose art um, and markings that they had, you know, and really, really weathered those beautiful white oxide streaks down from the turbochargers on the tops. Just, it looks so cool. It's such a great looking plane. I massively prefer American aircraft to British. Um, I know, heresy. Just more interesting looking. The Spitfire, I'm, I'm legally obliged to adore the Spitfire. (laughs) Um, because I'm an Englishman. Um, but the, ideologically prefer the Hurricane because they were usually flown by the working class sergeant officers. Um, sergeant pilots, sorry. Um, but no, I, I like the ugliness of the Hurricane. And my, you know, favourite subjects, probably my favourite aircraft is maybe a B-24 Liberator. It's just such a handsome-looking plane. Um, massive radial engine US aircraft. Just absolutely love that stuff. So, yeah, got some weird tastes. <laughs> weird tastes for sure. But, you know, uh, I just would like Tamir to do them because I've, I've kind of passed the point where I want to fight the kit. You know, I... I I love the idea of a beautiful kit that I can build and paint and make this, and add to it rather than having to correct. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Which is incredibly lazy and people would probably call me an assembler. Well, that's fine. I don't, I don't mind. Um, <laughs> try and put Guilty. my little, I start putting little bits of detail in like the Hellcat. I started, I had some great pictures from Chris Hughes, Chris Toadman Hughes, you know, Chris, fantastic guy. And loads of shots of the interior of that thing with cabling and stuff. And I suddenly looked at the date and realized I had like three days to finish the model. And I was putting all this lead wire inside the hull. And so I just got to stop. So it's actually only detailed inside on one side, much to my shame. So, <laughs> um, but you can't see that really now on it. So there you go. But yeah, an- another Hellcat would be nice. I want, I'd like to do a Serbian Hellcat with these funky, um, dotty kind of, uh, post-impressionist kind of camouflage on, but with all the aftermarket on it, because there's some nice aftermarket coming for that now. The headlight guards are a bit too thick on the sanded kit, so to put some thin ones on that, that would absolutely transform it. But, uh, yeah, endless, endless subject ideas, aren't there? I'm sure you guys have that, you know, you've uh, you've got all these ideas bubbling around in your heads and uh, actually making them happen is uh, a whole other thing, really. So get some water. Sorry. I'm out. Hydrate. So, John, what are you building at the minute? Oh, gosh. What am I not building, I think? I have the big stug from DOS Work. I have a couple Shermans for our group build that we're doing. Uh, Let's see. So we have a charity build upcoming this weekend. So I'll be building some of the – I'm going to build the – Federation tank from Legions, which is a game for Star Wars. So it's actually 147 scale. They're pretty cool. Uh, I'll okay. send you a link. They're actually really nice models, hmm. but I have a little bit of everything on the bench. I have, uh, I have the attention span of probably a hamster. I just bounce all over. Oh, yeah. The place. Absolutely. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm, I'm researching British. The one thing that absolutely befuddles me, but I think they look good are World War II British tank markings. Because it's like it's like hieroglyphics. You need the Rosetta Stone to understand that stuff. And I really, I just simply don't get it. I need I need a, I need to get a set that I know is going to work on that model and put them mm-hmm. on as I'm told. You know what I mean? I just um, 
so I'll be doing the kind of research of that and I'll going through my pictures and it's like, oh, shiny red ball. You know, there's a, <laughs> there's, a, there's a blown up RSO that looks so much more interesting than this very uh, complicatedly marked British thing. The Spencer's <laughs> done the beautiful job with it. It's a Canadian, actually, with the Archer that we... we yes. Some Tamir models do drop through the gap a little bit, sadly, and the Archer was one of those. Um, mm -hmm. But it's, it's, it could only be a World War II British design because it's only a mother could love that thing. You know, it's so <laughs> weird. <laughs> but that makes it cool. Um, I think that ugly things look cool in as model kits. The Apache helicopter, you know, and all these things, they look great. Um, that's called yeah, character. Mark, that's it called is. It's character, Marcus. Right. my wife yeah. tells me. Yeah, I love you, love you for, your, for your character and your money. Yeah. Neither of which I have. So, uh, you know. Well, Marcus, this is this has really been great. We got to let you get to bed at some point. But before we do, um, where can people find um, your uh, your modeling and uh, and also the Tamiya Modeling Magazine International? If if somebody hasn't subscribed, how where can they find you to do um, that? It's very easy. Um, we've we're called Doolittle Media now because we had some problems a few years ago, which I'm sure people would love to talk about. But actually, our website is still uh, adhpublishing.com. Oh, my God. Let me just confirm that it's got publishing and not just ADH. <laughs> uh, <if you're, laughs> it is ADH Books. Or you can go to ADH Publishing. I think they all kind of lead us back to our main website. And you can... Um, you can buy it all through. We take PayPal. Um, obviously, with the paper subscriptions, you can do it for as long as possible. I think the shortest one is six months because it's kind of putting it on the system for three issues is a bit of a pointless exercise. But, you know, you can subscribe for as long as and short as you like. We've got some offers on at the minute. Um, keeping our prices down because, you know, obviously everything's going up crazily in price, so we're desperately trying to absorb increases in that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, all the mags are there, ADH, um, publishing or adhbooks.com, um, and pocket mags, which sell every imaginable magazine. But if you want the digital edition, it's pocketmags.com. And if you just tap in Tamiya, ours will come up there with the latest issue. And that's, that's pretty good. You put on an iPad, that works nicely. And it's, it's quite a lot cheaper. It's published on the day. But, you know, you can get it on the day of publishing, um, rather than wait for it to come through the post and so on. So yeah, it has its, it has its benefits too. But yeah, we're always there. And then our Facebook group, just check out if you just look for Tamiya Model Magazine on Facebook and it'll come up and, um, you know, apply to join. It takes, a, it can be instant if I'm on it or it can take 24 hours if middle of the night or whatever, but you know, join up and people can ask any kind of question there they want. And I'm, I'm obviously, admin moderator but we've got the other guys who are looking after it too and they they point me in the direction of questions and stuff so yeah we're pretty easy to get get hold of to talk to um but yeah no buy the magazine please keep me keep me in the job <laughs> um, excellent and if somebody wants to submit uh maybe a model to you to consider for publishing how to, how would they do that uh, they can either private message me on uh, the Facebook group or they can email me. It's um, editor at TamiyaModelMagazine.com. Very easy to remember. Email, um, yeah, just drop me a drop me an email, as I said, or a private message, and then, then we can take it from there. Absolutely, yeah. Um, very simple process, really. 
set of guidelines to follow, um, and uh, end up in print. Who knew? <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's been great to. I hope I haven't bored you. <laughs> no, no, this is awesome. Yep. And Ivan's got some things coming for me. I think, haven't he, dude? You're gonna, you're Always, gonna, constantly. <laughs> I, I try not to pressure Ivan. He's does. He's such a good guy, and uh, kind of like send him a box of uh, of kits to review for me. Um, but I don't want to overwhelm him when I know that you're uh, you're doing things in all different directions. So I don't want to overburden you with that. I, stuff. I do. I do love it. You say I've got one or two things coming. Then like a, a box of thirty kits coming. It's like, oh right. <laughs> you haven't seen my stash, have you? <laughs> What Ivan, what Ivan really wants is that English proofreading job for the magazine. So, yeah, no, you know, I, I, wouldn't mind that. I wouldn't mind that either. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing we do need is a proofreader, actually. My goodness. Yeah. It's, uh, we're a niche within the niche magazine and the budgets aren't huge. So, yeah, we do have typos. Um, and, uh, I question my ability to see these sometimes but it's funny how you don't see it on a screen but as soon as you get the printed copy and you open it out it's like jumps out in 3d neon all these mistakes you know um, <laughs> and i apologize i've got a kind of a running standard apology for anyone who uh who sees these and grits their teeth you know um we'll try our best but uh we're models first and journalists second so um that's, I think that's more important that we have good models and good pictures um, yeah. as the priority. I hope British Museum might, or the British Library might, uh, might argue with me on that point. You know, I just hope <laughs> they don't have someone really clever sitting through, sitting there going, "Oh, you know, <laughs> amateurs, amateurs, <laughs> with their red-colored pencil circling things." Oh, oh, the red arrows! Oh my goodness, yeah. <laughs> oh, don't you love that when someone comes out with a new model kit? Posts it online and uh, say, this is coming from XYZ models. And then instantly someone's got their, they've opened it in the preview on their Mac or whatever. And you've got that little red arrow thing <laughs> that you can point in and they can say contours off here. And good. Yeah. I, I can, you know, I, I'll, I won't sleep tonight. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, well, thank you so much, Marcus. It's been it's been great talking with you. Some great nice stories, and I'm uh, very honoured to be asked. Thank you very much. It's lovely to chat with you guys. Well, we really, really appreciate it, and uh, love the work you're doing with the magazine. You know, we uh, you. usually share your posts. We'll continue to do that, and uh, hopefully, we'll talk with you again soon. Please do anytime. All right. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks Marcus. So much, thank you. Marcus. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks very much. All right. That was a terrific uh, interview with uh, Marcus. We enjoyed visiting with him. Hopefully we can talk again with him soon. It's a great, great guy. Took us quite a while to run him down. He's very, very busy, but we appreciate Marcus spending some time with us and uh, hope you enjoyed it. Well, last time around, uh, we were missing uh, TJ, who's here with us tonight. We kind of did a Commies Fest wrap up. You know, TJ came out to the show with us. We had a, a really, really great time. But uh, maybe want to get his perspective on what we saw out there and uh, maybe uh, talk about Commies Fest a, just a little bit more. So, uh, TJ, what did what'd you think of the show and uh, was it worth the travel? Yeah, thanks, Scott. Uh, yeah. So, because... 
I didn't get a chance to be on the last episode because as I think JB uh, noted when you guys were recording it, I wasn't even home yet. <laughs> um, I think I got, I think I got home like right after you guys started recording. Um, so yeah, I missed that one, but I, I did. I flew all the way out to uh, the Denver area from the DC area, essentially for the show and obviously the hangout. Um, it was really, really cool. It, <laughs> it was really funny when I was filling out my entry form or whatever. Uh, and I, I hand the lady uh, the form that has my name and address on it. She she looked at me and goes, did you drive all the way here from Virginia? And I was like, uh, no, ma'am, I did not. I flew all the way here from Virginia. She's like, you came all the way here just for this? I'm like, that is correct. <laughs> like, my friend lives here and my other friends are here. So that's also why I'm here. But yes, I, I'm here for this show. And she was just spellbound about it, which was just really funny. Because I had to be a smart ass too. I'm like, no, I didn't drive here. I flew here because it's too far to drive. Uh, but I can honestly say that was um, that's one of the best weekends I've had in a really long time. It was super fun. I think it sounds like we're probably going to make this a little bit of a tradition. And um, I hope that we do. And uh, I know we mentioned it before, but I, I personally was impressed by the amount of science fiction that was uh, on display there that were to the point where I think someone on the on our Facebook page asks, is this a science fiction only show? <laughs> no, there's other models here too. There just happens to be a lot of science fiction. So it was, it was really cool. I had, I had great time, pretty good vendors. I, I think John mentioned that we snatched up uh, all the machine and this one guy had uh, with like in five minutes of getting there, which was pretty funny. So one thing, TJ, we experienced something I think that you hear about at shows, but you never really experience it. And it's it's rather unfortunate. We we don't we're not going to dwell on it, but I I think it is something you know we can just at least mention. Yeah. So <laughs> there was someone there that entered a number of models that did not belong to him, but he entered them under his own name. So for for those of you that are unaware, you are allowed to enter model models in absentia if it's mm-hmm. entered under the builder's name. And you pay the, the entry fee if there happens to be one, so on and so forth. That is well within the rules. There's nothing wrong with that because you're not claiming that you built it. What you cannot do is enter a model you did not build under your own name. And unfortunately, that happened uh, with one person who also happened to win best in show with a model he did not build. And I was just shocked that someone would attempt to do this in 2022 in the age of social media because... If you bring a model good enough to win best of show, chances are it's probably on the internet somewhere. And it was. And that's how essentially the case was cracked because the builder mentioned that that's my build. And then the holes in the story started to fall apart. And then when we come to find out, we were looking through some of the other items that he had brought. I personally recognized one and I knew I had seen it somewhere in about 10 minutes of searching on Instagram. I discovered that it was a Warhammer figure painted by a very, very, very talented uh, painter who has like 47,000 followers on Instagram. Like, it's not a nobody. He's a he's a big deal. And I reached out to him and said, hey, you know, you sold this model because he had a post saying that it was for sale. And um, after finding out it, come to find out that's where it went. And it was indeed his. And he confirmed that it was his. So, yeah, um, if you're listening, don't do that. It's not cool. Um, it's easy yeah. to find out, you know. Yeah, especially if you're entering the the work of world class painters, you you will be found out. And to me, I, I 
I don't see the point in it. It makes no sense. And uh, I just, again, like John said, it's just one of those things you you hear about, but you didn't think someone has the audacity to do. So, yeah. And, you know, I'll, I'll just continue the conversation. I, and I want to acknowledge that the Commies Fest crew has been extremely professional in handling this. And, you know, they're ensuring that the right credit goes where credit is due. So, you know, hats off to them for, you know, taking taking some of the information that came in after the show uh, and making some decisions to make sure that the people who built the award uh, built the award winning model are properly recognized and properly awarded. So it's a rather unfortunate circumstance that, you know, the crew had no control over. And certainly we we had no idea there. Uh, but, you know, after you post pictures online, people share all over the world. People start commenting. Uh, you know, it's very interesting to see how. Uh, you know, how small the world is for that matter. So, you know, with that, I, I think, again, the Commies Fest crew handled it very well, uh, certainly looking forward to next year. And and that's going to just be in the rearview mirror and honestly something maybe we can laugh about in kind of a serious manner, but also just like un, like a comical laugh in a sense where we couldn't believe someone would do this. In absence of that, it was a great show. And uh, yeah, onwards and upwards. Yeah, uh, I'm going to echo what you said, uh, John. I mean, hats off to the Commies Fest crew for, you know, I feel sorry for them for having to deal with something like that because who expects that? Like, mm-hmm. I would never expect that. And um, it is not a mar on the Commies Fest show at all. It's far beyond their control and they're making it right with all the information they have. And uh, as far as la- looking back and laughing at it in the future, I laugh at it now. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's honestly, it's funny and also not funny because people that, should have won awards that didn't get to win an award, but it's also funny because someone had the audacity to do that. And you just, you know, the, the dumbest criminals, those are always the, the, the best ones. Yeah. And I think it's simple to say that, uh, you know, Brian Krieger's uh, Shankle was the best model on the table. There. 100%. God, it was so good. And I hope to see it in Omaha and I hope our listeners get to see it too. You know, Brian's work is inspirational and yeah, it's uh, all right. Uh, yeah, exactly. Right. Right. I mean, we, yeah. I guess we, I guess we were lucky that he graced us with his shitty kits. But, you know, what are you going to do? God, we didn't let up either at my house. I felt like we belittled him all night. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to do when you're like seven foot eight. So <laughs> bear claws for hands. <laughs> um, and, and kind of, so to kind of go on to a, a little bit of a better topic, um, because it's also related to Commies Fest. Um, when you, John, were driving Jim Bates and I back to the airport on Monday, we had a pretty good conversation in the car. And when we were in the process of talking about it, I was like, oh, we should talk about this on the podcast. So we're going to. And uh, I don't I don't remember who exactly brought it up, but I know we did. The question was kicked around the three of us. What was the model that, that you feel like kind of pushed you to the next level? Right. It took you from where you were to closer to where you wanted to be. So I'm going to start with you, Ivan, wake the hell up. <laughs> Give me an answer. Put your trousers on, put your, put your lounge trousers on. <laughs> For me, it's when the work, the modeling became work for someone else. If it was for a magazine publication or a commission, I can sometimes forgive sloppiness. If it's work for me, when it's for someone else, or it's going to be seen around the world um, or on the internet or wherever, it has to be perfect. There can't be those little bits of imperfection that I would forgive if someone's paying good money for it or is relying on that to sell or be seen by the masses. 
Um, so when when there's that much, I say it's pressure. I, I, I don't think it's a pressure, but when there's that sort of expectation on a standard, it has to be up there. So for me, yeah, when it's when it's not work for me, that's when it drives me to be like, right, this needs to be as good as it can be. Right, but what was what was the model that oh. so 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 think think about like this? It's your experience bar is filling up, right? You're you're yeah. running around the the forest, you're slaying boars or whatever. You're filling that experience bar up, then you get to that one that dings you to the next level. So what what model was that for you? Oh, mm, right. Um, that's hard. It's a choice of two. So it's either Matamia one forty eight VF. 111 f14 miss molly um again because that was that was a commission uh and the guy's very particular or the 10 day build challenge i did for the 148 for tamia easy eight which went a bit extreme with its um air quotes spanish style approach with extreme modulation and and things like that although it's not whether there's no dust on it whatsoever but yeah i think it's got to be either either of those two i can't really pick between the two but they were they were both like level up here's a pack of perk cards what about you scott what was uh what was your level up build so probably 20 years ago um i built a heller 124 scale stuka uh, initially just for myself but it ended up going to a museum and it was i think it was the first build that i can remember where you know i really used good quality airbrushing i didn't just splotch some paint on it for camo i actually replicated the paint job uh, you know, spent a couple of months at, just in the cockpit. So yeah, it was a, a 124 scale JU87 uh, Stuka, and uh, that was that was one that I can remember kind of changing the way I built forever after I finished that one. What in particular was it that that you feel pushed you to the next level? I'd say probably the 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 level of finish. You know, I was at a point where, um, you know, I'd been modeling, I guess, seriously for a few years. And, uh, you know, so I was filling seams and, you know, the construction part I had down. But I think that was really the one where I, you know, really airbrushed for the first time on a model, really took the finish kind of to that next level. And, you know, it isn't where I'm at right now, obviously. But, um, it, yeah, just I remember, you know, your question is what, you know, what kind of helped you turn that corner or take a step and i'd say the paint finish work both you know with paint brushes but especially with airbrushing that's what it was so john what about you what was your level up build oh i think that one's real easy for me uh you know i struggled for a while i had a really bad bout of just mojo busting non-production and it Probably if I have to point to a model, it's the T3476 by Dragon. It's the one with the white wash and the squiggly pattern on it that's made to look like tire marks. So when an aircraft flies over, it looks like there's tracks instead of, uh, you know, a tank there. But it was a model that I, it kind of was Scott too, you know, you, you're taking different techniques, you're taking more techniques, you're building layers, building up different foundations to really achieve an effect. And, and that was it. And it was honestly the first model that I photographed seriously and submitted to a magazine. And Marcus, that you heard from already in the episode, you know, he was the one who took it and published it and kind of set, you know, set in motion who JB Closet Modeler is today and, and really pushed me to that next, uh, that next level. So it was, uh, it was a fun build. It was something that you know, I had never expected to really propel, you know, my confidence. I mean, I think that I don't think there's shame in saying, you know, having confidence with building models and, and that goes in and out. I mean, that was a high confidence time. 
and and now to be honest, I have pretty low confidence in my builds because I'm struggling to get some across the finish line. But you know, I'm I'm looking for that next uh, that next mark. But that that would be the one, the the T thirty four seventy six by Dragon. I don't know that one to one scale model of a smoked pork shoulder you did last <laughs> o- last October. That would have been uh, maybe my pick. <laughs> Those were good. I mean, heck, I had two of them this past what two weeks ago. Uh, Twenty pounds worth of with a pork. So I think Lindsay got sick of it after like the seventh <laughs> leftover meal. So, uh, but yeah, <laughs> how about yourself, TJ? I think for me, it was the Sherman VC firefly by Ryfield that I did in January of last year. So this is, this is pretty recent for me. Um, I, I took modeling serious before that. Um, and I think I was making good progress, but for, for whatever reason, and looking back, looking back at it now, obviously, like I, I feel like I obviously, but I feel like I, I'm moved past that too, as far as level of finish goes. But the finish on that was probably the best finish I had achieved in the nine years I've been modeling since um, when I did that. And a lot of a lot of that credit goes to you, John, because I use a lot of techniques I didn't really use before that I learned from you. So. And especially with photography, because I remember I did the first round of pictures and I sent them to our little group chat. And you're like, no, drop the barrel, do all this other stuff. I'm like, oh, OK. And I did. I'm like, oh, man, these pictures are like really good. That makes so much sense. Why is why was the barrel raised? It looks so dumb. I've not, not shot another picture of a tank with a raised barrel. I want I want that shit flat. That's, that's, how, that's how it looks good. It's still that that model holds a special place in my heart. I. I love the Firefly. It's it's an iconic vehicle, and the the kit itself is gorgeous. Um, if anyone wants a good Firefly kit, the Ryfield model is probably the best one. Um, yeah, and I, I love that build. Still, uh, and you guys can the listeners can't see, but it's in the top shelf of that cabinet right behind me. Yeah, it's a great choice. I I I really saw a lot of progression in your work on that one too, TJ. Although that uh. That pottery vase that you built with the Darren on the pottery wheel that one time that was that was hot that was yeah. really hot so that's private though not everyone gets to see that so I you know th- this was a great topic and um, I, I want to throw this out there to listeners you know what was what was your level up build you know after this this uh, episode drops you get on our Facebook page and our group and show us your level up build and and again this this isn't your best thing ever. It's, it's just that, that one thing that like I was using the analogy before that, that your little experience bar was filling up and this one made you ding the next level. It could be one from the past one from last week. If that's what happened, go ahead and, and let us know. Hashtag level up build you know, to be kind of cheeky. Like uh, just, yeah, but show us it. I, I'm always interested in to see what people think and how they evaluate themselves. Cause that's the most important thing is how, you see what you're doing. Well, thanks, TJ. That was a great uh, conversation point. For those of you out there, uh, you've noticed the format of our last few episodes has been a little bit different. We appreciate you uh, putting up with some audio issues. Uh, We've just been really, really busy. It's been great having the opportunity to visit shows like Commies Fest and the show that we did at the Museum of Flight up in Seattle. TJ got to go to the uh, the old Dominion Open. Just it's been awesome being out there and uh, making new friends. So yeah, we've been a little bit busy. Uh, should get back to traditional podcasts at some point. 
But in the meantime, hopefully all of you have had a chance to go to your bench and uh, get some building done. Uh, we're going to, like I mentioned before, going to hit that 48-hour group build uh, this weekend. And that should the results of that should be out there by the time this podcast drops. So, gentlemen, as always, it's been a lot of fun talking to you. It was great to uh, visit with Marcus. And until next time, yee You guys take care.